0: Uh, But hey, I'm super excited uh, to continue our summer series, The Gospel-Centered Life, or as my good friend Rob called it, The God-Centered Life, and uh, love you, Rob. And uh, The Gospel-Centered Life, in the first couple of weeks, uh, Cody did an excellent job of just simply unpacking the gospel for us. He showed us this grid, I don't know if we have it, but he showed us this grid uh, that shows us... That there's a point in which we experience conversion. There's a point where we accept salvation. And as we continue to follow Jesus, what happens is there's a growing awareness of my sinfulness, but there's also a growing awareness of God's holiness. And originally, when I first saw this grid, I was super discouraged. Because I was like, man, I'm never going to be able to close that gap. But in my community group, one of our elders who's in my community group, uh, Greg, he said, what I saw when I saw the grid was I didn't see the gap getting bigger, but I saw the cross getting bigger. And one of the things that another guy in our community group, I'm just giving a shameless plug for how good community groups are, um, is that he said, yeah, you know, I always thought about how Jesus said, you know, the road is narrow. And he said, I thought about how I don't think it's narrow to, to mean that it's difficult, but I think God was just trying to simplify things for us. Right. That this is the only way. Yeah. And if you stay on that road, what happens, and Greg gave a beautiful example to our group, but he said when you were driving from a distance and you see something that is large, from a distance it seems small. But the closer you get to it, the bigger it gets. And so, although there's a growing awareness of my sinfulness, there's also a growing awareness of God's holiness. And in all of that, I'm getting closer and closer to the cross. And the cross is getting bigger and bigger. So, no matter what circumstances I might be walking in, if I'm continuing to press on and press forward, it's going to be really easy for me to cling on to the hope that we have. Through Jesus and the cross. And then last week, our lead pastor Andy just destroyed the second part of the book, which is pretending or performing. And there's another grid. I'm not going to go back there because Cody's really tall. So if I went back there and tried to, like, reach <laughs> up, it would look really weird. And uh, But there's another grid where we shrink the cross by pretending And performing. And pretending is thinking that we're better than we actually are. And what happens when we do that is we actually lower the standard of God's holiness. We minimize God's holiness by pretending and performing so that we can actually meet the expectation. Here's the thing. We all fall short. Without Jesus, we all fall short. And so what happens when we pretend and perform is we actually devalue God's holiness, devalue what Jesus did for us on the cross, just so that we could feel good about ourselves, so that we set these expectations that aren't God's, but they're ours. We say that they're his, but they're not, so that we can meet them. And she unpacked that pretending and performing. But here's here's what I know. This is what I know. What happens when we pretend to perform, we're actually trying to secure and establish our righteousness and our identity apart from Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. And here's what you have to know. We were designed and created to long after acceptance, to long after approval, to long after significance, to long after security. But we were designed to find those things in God. Not in the world, not in anything else, but in God. And that's the tension. We were created to long for those things and to find those things in him. But many of us, because of sin, it creates a separation. And we feel alienated. And so we're just trying to figure out any place that I can find approval, acceptance, significance, and security. But if we have a deeply rooted belief in the gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ, we then anchor our righteousness and our identity in Him. In Jesus. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4 where Paul writes, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says this But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless, Riches of his grace and kindness, which was showered upon us in Jesus Christ. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. And I love verse 8. I'm going to read it one more time. It says, for it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed. Everyone say believed. Come on, say it like you believe it. See what I did there? Say it like you believe it. Believed. Believed. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. And what Paul is communicating to us is that the gospel, the gospel, this wonderful grace that we receive through Jesus, becomes active in us, When we not just know it, but believe it. How many of us know that there's a difference between knowing about something and believing something? Here's the thing. All of us know that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player to ever play in the NBA. But for whatever reason, many of us choose not to believe it. I believe it. He is the GOAT. (laughs) I don't care what you say. You can tell me his finals record. I don't care. He's the GOAT. But there's a difference between knowing something and believing something. And how many of us would say they know what a trust fall is? Anybody know what a trust fall is? Okay, I'm going to break it down for you. Trust fall is simple. It's somebody standing in the front, somebody standing in the back. And what happens is the person in the front falls back. Trust fall. The person in the back is supposed to catch him. Simple, right? Simple. Right? Let's check out the screen. Close your eyes and just fall down, okay? Don't worry. Okay, then Lauren's gonna catch you. Okay, it's called the trust fall. Okay, trust fall. Ready, <laughs> set, go. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Hey, what I, love, what I love about that is, bless that little girl's heart, here's the thing, she knew and she believed, she just fell the wrong way, and uh, sometimes that's going to happen, and, uh, but hey, she believed, she, she, she just, her knowledge was a little messed up though, she, she didn't really know the full extent of how she was supposed to fall, and, uh, but it, wh- when I was thinking about this message and the difference between knowing something and believing something, I immediately thought about a trust fall. And here's the thing, I've I've done a trust fall before, and there have been moments where the person behind me did not do what they were supposed to do, and so I fell. And so now if you ask me to do a trust fall, there's a little, uh, I don't know, I don't know. But what I was thinking about is there's a point at which the thing that stands between someone falling back is belief. They have knowledge of how this is supposed to work. But the thing that prevents them from executing it, from being activated, being active in it, is belief. And maybe you know somebody in your life, whether it's a friend, family member, but you don't believe in them. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. I can know who God is and choose not to believe in him. Mm -hmm. I can know the gospel. I can know that Without Christ, I am dead. But because of the gospel, because of Jesus giving his life for me on the cross, I have been given new life. I have knowledge of that. But what changes it is me choosing to believe in it. There is a difference between knowing and believing. Knowing means possessing knowledge, intelligence, or understanding about something. And believing means that we have accepted something to be true. Or you are confident and have faith and trust in something. I remember being in seminary and having conversations with several other students who were in all of my classes. And I would talk to them and I would say, man, like tell me about how you got called into ministry. Like what did God do in your heart? And several of those students would look at me and they said, oh, I just... I'm just going to school f- to be a pastor, just like you would go to school to be an accountant. <laughs> what? So I said, so, so, so y- y- you don't feel like God called you to do this? No, it's just a profession. <laughs> what? And, and, and my experience was all of these people have, were getting knowledge. Wow. They were getting knowledge about God. It was all here, mm-hmm. but there was nothing in here. Nothing in here. Knowledge is about the head. Belief is about what's in your heart. And here's the thing. I'm not anti-knowledge, but I am pro-faith. I'm not anti-knowledge, but I am pro-faith. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Our belief in the gospel is the depth to which we will experience the transformation God promises us in the gospel. Our belief in the gospel is the depth to which we will experience the transformation God promises us in the gospel. 2 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 3 it says this his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to what? Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness. But here's the thing, I I just want to point out, The list is very clear. It says, add to your faith, goodness. And to goodness, then, knowledge. Faith is the foundation to which we add knowledge. Knowledge isn't the foundation to which we add faith. But faith is the foundation to which we add knowledge. There is a clear difference between somebody who feels called by God to go and plan a church than somebody who just says, oh, no, I'm just going to go learn about who this God guy is, and then I'm going to go talk about him. But I never in my life did I feel like God said, I want you to do this. And the moment that circumstances flip themselves upside down, I wonder what that person has to stand on. Faith is the foundation to which we add knowledge. And, and, in fact, it's possible to know a lot and believe a little. But it's also possible to believe a lot and know a little. Here's the thing. When I got saved in ninth grade at a youth conference, all God was was this person that my mom would yell at me about. That's all, that's all it was. And the moment that I felt God speak to me and say, you need me. And the moment I felt that it became real for me. Let me tell you, I knew very little. But in that moment when I felt his love, when I felt his grace, when I felt his embrace. You better believe better you better believe that I believed a whole lot. But I knew very little. And so we can we can know a lot, believe a little, we can believe a lot, know a little. And it's I think many people in our day operate in what you would call a, a religious spirit. A religious spirit. They're puffed up with all kinds of knowledge about the Bible, but they actually demonstrate very little faith. Wow. They know so much about the Bible, but the moment that things get a little shaky, they got no foundation. Very little faith. Their faith is in knowledge, rather than putting their faith in Jesus. Isn't that, that kind of scary? Yeah. That people can put their like faith in knowing this, but then miss it altogether. Yeah. Right. And and what happens? There's sometimes a distance or a separation between us knowing of something, having knowledge of something and believing in it. And what makes, what closes up that distance is faith. What closes that gap is faith. You know, I I think about, you know, the, the group that's from Highlands College. You know, maybe there's a distance right now that you feel between the thing that God has called you to do and actually stepping into it. You know what God's called you to do. But then there's the process of doing the steps to step into that. And maybe, you know, God's calling you to New York City and Brooklyn in particular um, to just get invested in what God's doing here. You know, maybe. And, hey, I want to encourage you. You can believe that with all your heart. You can believe it. But maybe there's a distance between us. And us sharing our faith with a co-worker. Maybe there's a distance between us and us sharing our faith with our family. Maybe there's a distance between us and giving and helping that homeless guy that we see every single walk on the subway to work. And the thing that prevents us from going, from knowing about the thing that God might be calling us to do, to actually stepping into it and, and doing it is faith. Do I trust God with my finances if I know that he's calling me to give to this homeless guy, but I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to pay this bill next week? Do I trust him enough that if I, pro- if, if I provide for this guy that God's going to take care of me? He knows every need. He knows every bill. He knows every situation already, but am I putting my faith in him? Or maybe I have knowledge I'm supposed to move to New York from Birmingham, Alabama once I'm done with Highlands College and be a part of Liberty Church downtown Brooklyn. But I'm thinking, how am I going to pay to live in the most expensive city in the country or one of the most expensive cities in the country? Do I trust that my father will provide for me? And my wife and I, we are clear examples of that. Many of you know our story. We moved to New York. From South Florida, we had just gotten engaged, just gotten engaged, planning a wedding, and we felt like God was calling us to New York. So we did the smart thing. We resigned from our positions that we had, working at an amazing church by the beach, and we moved to a city where we only knew about three people, didn't have jobs, didn't have a place to live, planning a wedding. It all makes a lot of sense, right? And let me tell you, as, as we... Just continue to trust God and believe in him, believe in the good news, everything that the gospel is about. Let me tell you, every step of the way, there is some amount of faithfulness that the world could not give to us, that only God could do it. We applied for an apartment with no jobs, which is like impossible in New York City. But we got the apartment. That doesn't make any sense. But we believed and trusted God with what He was calling us to do. Am I trusting God? Am I putting my faith in Him, my Father, so that I can step into the thing that He might be calling me to do? Faith closes the distance. John chapter 5, verse 24. It says this, and this is Jesus after healing a sick man and having the religious authorities in uproar when the sick man lets them know that, hey, Jesus healed me because it was the Sabbath. And Jesus just, he just gently, you know, sets them straight. He tells them he's the son of God. And they're like, well, why are you working on the Sabbath? He said, my father's working, I'm working. And Jesus says this in verse 24. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my work and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. It's not just about knowing the word. Because once you hear it, you have knowledge of it. But what he says is, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me, knowing and believing. Our belief in the gospel is the depth to which we will experience the transformation God promises us in the gospel. And specifically, the gospel promises us two things. And the first thing is this. The gospel promises us passive righteousness. The gospel promises us passive righteousness. Passive righteousness is the biblical truth that God has not only forgiven our sin, but also credited to us Jesus' positive righteousness. Let me explain that in a way that might help us understand that a little bit better. Imagine that you got student loan debt, credit card debt, and it's just, it's an exorbitant amount of debt, and all of a sudden you get a call from the company and says, hey, just want to let you know, we're just going to cancel out all that debt. Somebody else has paid for it, but they didn't just pay for it, they've actually given you Ten times what you owed in your account. So now you have an overflow. You're not in the red, but you're way in the green. That's what passive righteousness is. It's not about him just paying the debt, but it's about him paying the debt and then giving you everything that you could dream of on top of that. Imagine getting pulled over by a police for a police officer for speeding. We don't drive here, really. We take the subway. But imagine if you were driving and you got pulled over by a cop for a speeding ticket and the cop came up to you and you said, hey, you're going about 35 over, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down and get you some donuts because I, I just love, you know, I'm going to cancel that ticket. I didn't see you going 35 over. I was, this is what it's going to be like. This is what it's going to feel like. And then I'm going to go get you some donuts from Donut Plant for you Highlands College students. Find a way to get the donut plant. Tell Josh take them a the donut plant. It's gonna bless their life. <laughs> but that's what it's like. That's what passive righteousness is. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24, it says this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that gained by Christ Jesus. The reason it's called passive righteousness is there's nothing that you can do to earn it or receive it. There is no, there's no, you can't work so hard to get God to love you more than he already does. There's nothing that you can do. Passive righteousness. Righteousness. I I love this quote from Martin Luther that says this. It's called passive righteousness because we do not have to labor for it. It is not righteousness that we work for, but righteousness we receive by faith. This passive righteousness is a mystery that someone who does not know Jesus cannot understand. In fact, Christians do not completely understand it and rarely take advantage of it in their daily lives. When there is any fear or our conscience is bothered... It is a sign that our passive righteousness is out of sight and Christ is hidden. The person who wanders away from passive righteousness has no other choice but to live by works righteousness. If he does not depend on the work of Christ, he must depend on his own work. So we must teach and continually repeat the truth of this passive or Christian righteousness so that Christians continue to hold to it and never confuse it with works righteousness. You see, when we aren't trusting in the passive righteousness that we receive through the gospel, we aren't putting our faith, aren't believing in the passive righteousness that God gives to us through the gospel, we start to depend on our own work and our own self. And this connects back to what Andy talked about last week. We start to default into pretending to be better than we are. or We try to perform to achieve favor from God. To get him to love us more. And that's not how it works. And and, and just because we have a promise of passive righteousness, it doesn't mean that our faith is passive. It doesn't mean that we just sit down and just think that God's going to do everything for us. But I think that what happens is we embrace passive righteousness with an act of faith. We embrace passive righteousness with an active faith. Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says this All of us become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. That's what happens. When we're not putting our faith and belief in passive righteousness, the promise in the gospel. There's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of work that you can do, no amount of striving that you can do to earn that. The second promise of the gospel that we need to believe and not just know is this. The gospel promises us adoption. The gospel promises us adoption. Adoption is the biblical truth that God has welcomed us into his family as his own sons and daughters by virtue of our union with Jesus, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says this, But when that error came to an end, and the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the written law. Yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free all those held hostage to the written law so that we would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, My Father, you're you're our true Father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our Father has. For we are heirs of God through Jesus, the Messiah. I wonder how many of us know that we're a son or a daughter of God, but we don't believe it. I wonder how many of us have knowledge that I am a son of God. I am a daughter of God. But we haven't put our faith and trust in that. We haven't put our faith and our trust in the promise of adoption. And here's here's this is this is truth. When somebody knows that they're a son or a daughter of God and they don't believe it, it looks drastically different from somebody who knows they're a son or a daughter of God and also believes that they're a son or a daughter of God. Because when I know that I'm a son and a daughter or daughter of God, and I believe that, I believe this promise of adoption with all my heart, that when difficulty circumstances arise, I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry because I know who my father is. I know that he knows everything that I need. I know that he is my provider, that he is the one who has never failed me. I know that if I am a son and I believe that I am a son of God, that I don't need to be anxious or worried about what tomorrow is going to bring because I know my father has a plan for my life that is greater than anything I could think of, dream of, or imagine. When I know and believe that I am a son of God, I don't need to search for things to fill this void that's in my heart. Because I know that my father will fully satisfy every desire that I have. There is a clear difference between somebody who just knows it and somebody who knows and believes that to be true in their life. And I wonder how many of us know that we're a son or a daughter of God but we haven't put all of our faith and trust in that promise. When you only know that you are a son or a daughter of God, you are more prone to forget your identity as God's children. And rather than resting in God's fatherly love, you find yourself striving to gain favor and living up to a master's expectations. It's the difference between knowing and knowing and believing. When you know, you see God as your master. But when you know and believe, you see God as your father. Those are two different things. You work for a master. But you partner and you live with your father. Those are two different things. And so I wonder how many of us are trying to work to please our master. Instead of simply enjoying the presence of our father. And how we overcome that. Is just no, not just knowing that to be true, but believing it in every area of our life. And by faith, clinging to the promise in the gospel that we are God's children. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, it says this, And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. Galatians chapter 4 verse 7, it says this. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has. For we are heirs of God through Jesus the Messiah. And here's what I know to be true as well. On this Father's Day. Is that maybe you're in this room. And the relationship between your earthly father hasn't been what you had hoped it would be. Hasn't been what you thought it would be. And because of that, you're having a hard time of getting past just knowing that you're a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And you're having a hard time believing that to be true. And I want to tell you that everything that you feel is a lie from the enemy. But no matter what your experience has been with your earthly father, your heavenly father loves you. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. He longs to be with you. And there's nothing that can separate you from his love. And so you can believe in the truth that you are his son and you are his daughter. The team can come. The gospel promises us passive righteousness and adoption. And when we embrace these two promises, we know that our righteousness and our identity have been secured through Jesus. And that God has set us free to make much of Jesus with our life. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Discovering the reality of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, trusting in all of the gospel is like finding hidden treasure in a field. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. It's the opportunity of eternity. And the man didn't just come to know the treasure, but he came to believe in it so much that he gave everything that he had so he could go buy that field where that treasure was. Because let me tell you, if he just knew about the treasure but didn't believe in it, I guarantee you he would not have sold everything that he had to buy that field. But there was something that captivated him. He was overwhelmed by that treasure. Almost as if it were too good to be true. And he gave everything that he had to be a part of what that was. And my prayer is that everyone who hears this message will put their faith and trust in the righteousness of God. And know and believe their identity is in him. And not their own works or themselves. And maybe you're here this morning and you've known about God. You've heard stories about who God is. You've heard stories about the things that He has done. But you've never taken the step to put your faith and your trust in Him. There's nothing that you can do to earn or receive that love from Him. There's nothing that you can do. There's no amount of work that you can do. There's no ladder that you can climb to earn salvation, to experience the promises of passive righteousness and adoption. There's nothing that you can do, but it's a free gift for you. And so with every eye closed this morning,